Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and our job, our singular mission, is to bring the outdoors to you when you can't be in the outdoors yourself. Today, we are bringing you a guest that hails from a state that we we have discussed very little, the fine state of Oklahoma. And uh, as I say that, I realize I didn't ask him my one opener question that I thought would be funny. I've been holding on to it all day, Chase, and that was, is Oklahoma the Midwest or the West? Right. Yeah. I, I didn't ask that question. Yeah. I don't know. What a knucklehead. Yeah, that would have been uh, – <laughs> I'm not really sure. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, dead gummit. We're going to have to have him back on, I guess. Darn. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I say that with joking uh, intent here, guys, because in all reality, uh, tonight's guest is – or today, when you're listening, is, is phenomenal. We had Ricky Ellett on, and the dude is just – a national treasure. He, he he is so down to earth and has such a good time going after whitetails and some of the neatest terrain out there. He he's just got this overwhelmingly positive attitude uh, that I think could be much needed in the in the the hunting community. He 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 likes it any any way that anybody wants to get out there, so long as they're enjoying themselves. And uh, it's always good to, to to share as many stories as we got to with Ricky. Yeah, he he seems like a great guy. He's got a great passion <laughs> yeah. for whitetails in his state of uh, Oklahoma. And like you mentioned, he mixed it up. I mean, he would give us some tactics, and then we'd have a story in there, and then some more tactics and strategy and things. So I think uh, the listeners will definitely uh, enjoy this podcast, and they'll take quite a few things away from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, this is a good one. And I can I can already tell you right now, Ricky is going to be back on the podcast at some point in time. He's just he's too good a guy not to. Yeah, yeah. We're we're trying to line up a, a woods woodsmanship series for the podcast. And I think we got 
him and hopefully Mr. Uh, Warren Womack. So I think we've got two right there. So we, yeah, that's right. <laughs> maybe get one or two more, and I think we'll have a good series on uh, woodsmanship uh, for everybody. And maybe it, hit on that and probably the summer or late late spring, early summer. Get everybody uh, thinking about whitetails and uh, some of the stuff that they should focus on uh, prior to the season and during the season. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm – I, I'm really happy with this one. This is one of those good campfire. It's not really, I wouldn't consider it a BS session. You're learning and hearing things as you go, and you're enjoying it at the whole time. So, uh, you know, huge thanks for Ricky for coming on. And, and this one does run about an hour and a half, so we're, we are going to do our best to keep these intros short. And in part, we're going to thank the people who make this episode possible. First and foremost, that is our Patreon subscribers. If you don't know what Patreon is, it is a crowdfunding source that allows us to offset the operating costs of the show. New camera gear, <laughs> sensitive topic, new camera gear, uh, hosting fees, the money that we raise there goes right into giveaways that we do four times a year and the operating cost of the show. And if you like this show, you like the YouTube content and the podcast content, and you want to see it go on and advance and, and grow in, in, in its scope, consider joining Patreon. We'll send you some stickers. If, if you pick the, the right tier, you can get a free hat and uh, we're just thankful, overwhelmingly grateful for all the people who who, who joined up and, and are part of Patreon. Partnered up with Scree Gear. Uh, I know the other day when I was out hunting and it was 27 degrees, <laughs> I was definitely ha- happy to have all of my layers of uh, Scree Gear on. As most of you know, I'm, I'm not like a super fan of the cold weather, but it definitely uh, kept me warm, kept me in the stand long, and uh, hopefully... I'll be able to talk about the hunt itself uh, on a future podcast because I was able to take a a deer that day. But uh, if you guys would uh, like to support us some and would like to get some great gear, um, you can go to screegear.com. And if you enter in the code uh, CHASINGTAILS, all caps, you can save 15% off your purchase. And last but not least, my favorite piece of gear to use is from Tethered. Uh, This past weekend, I spent an exorbitant amount of time in the saddle uh, to the point where I was almost daydreaming at point, (laughs) literally falling asleep standing up. But that's a testament to the comfort of the Phantom. I did all-day sits in the Phantom down in South Georgia uh, on a quota hunt, had an absolute blast doing so, and that, that... kit has kept me mobile it, it, i mean it, it its profile is small it's easy to set up it's comfortable all day use the predator platform is amazing it is just it, the what they offer as a complete package i think could change the way that you pursue whitetails bear hog or any of it if you can hunt from a tree i think this is going to be an awesome tool for you so check them out tethernation.com let them know that we sent you over there and if you got any questions about saddle hunting shoot us a dm we'd love to talk about it with you um, it, it's a big passion of ours and, and, and we use ours religiously, but, uh, Chase, I think, I think that's about all the business we've got. What do you say we get them onto the show? Let's do it. All right. On the line, we have got a guest that I am excited to bring to you guys tonight. Ricky Ellett, dude, thank you for tuning in all the way from the back country of Oklahoma. Oh, you're welcome. We, uh, we were talking offline and it sounded like you were, did you say you were on the river to get service? Yeah, I'm on the river right now. I'm actually at a little base camp down here that we hunt out of. Off the river is about the best spot I could come to get service. So, well, it's so mighty yeah, fine I'm, service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I keep looking at the bars on my phone, and and I keep having three. So I'm like, as long as that's, I got three, I'm all right. There you go. 
that's the, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. This is what I need when a pod when we have a podcast chase is a dude to tune in from camp and, and, and talk hunting. That just feels like the most authentic campfire discussion possible. Oh yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah, man, dude. So why don't we introduce you to the guests? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from? Uh, obviously, tonight we're going to be talking about whitetails predominantly, but to tell everybody kind of a little bit about yourself and what's your favorite way to pursue whitetails. Well, I'm from Davis, Oklahoma. That's at the foot of the Arbuckle Mountains and down on the Washita River. And uh, I kind of hunt both. I hunt the mountains and, and I hunt the river a lot. And uh, I'm kind of a mobile hunter, you'd call it. I like to go in and scout and get way back where there's no pressure. And I like to find the deer and just go back in there and set up and and get on a trail that he's using and, and try to hang with him till I get him killed. Or somebody else gets him killed, he's not coming around no more, then I move on to the to the next spot I find. That's basically how I hunt. I don't really it's legal to bait here in Oklahoma, but I don't do much baiting or nothing like that. And, uh, and if we have a pretty rough winter, I'll feed the, I'll feed out, you know, the does. I'll try to keep them a little bit of feed out up and down the river. But I, I hardly ever hunt over bait or anything like that. I like to go in and find, find a trail and find a bunch of buck rubs or scrape lines or whatever it may be. And I like to set up like that. I keep everything with me and I, I'll go in with climbing sticks and put up a stand or I hunt that way, but I hunt off the ground a lot too. I like to spot and stop the most I can, but sometimes way down here in this thick, thick country on the river, it's hard to do it. It's hard to do it like that. So I'll set up a stand and try to hang with him for two or three days. And then I try to do all day sets because down here, everybody says how the bucks they turn nocturnal well they do they, they don't show themselves in the open fields and the crop fields and stuff like that in the daylight but they sure they'll show them moving this thick timber along the river during the daytime and so that's kind of that's kind of been my bread and butter is the, is the thick stuff right on i can catch them on their feet you know moving around in, in the in the thicker stuff they'll get up and move all day pretty much around the bedding areas and that's kind of that's kind of the way i hunt comes to the mountains i'll go up in the mountains i'll try to spend a, I, the way i do it i try to spend a week in about a week in the river bottoms and then i'll i'll move maybe a week in the mountains that way i can kind of see especially when it starts getting in the middle of october toward the end of october mm-hmm. i'm trying to see because you know the bucks are starting to get on their feet they're starting to, to go around scent checking and so I'll kind of shift shift directions every other week and I'll try to get up in the mountains and I'll sit all day in glass and uh, I'll see what I got. And if I got something I really want to pursue, then I'll, you know, have it kind of, I'll have it. And then down here I can kind of check and I'll just kind of switch back and forth. I like to kill one in the mountains and one on the river bottoms. That's, that's what I try to do because we're allowed a two buck limit down here. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. Right on, man. I know you mentioned uh, you're you're a member of that trad life. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a member of a yeah. I'm a member of a trad club. Yeah, I'm a dude. I love the trad. I love to shoot trad. It's a it's just a passion, man. I just ever since I shot my first deer, I shot a uh, 
I shot a big deer. I shot a, and it was a fluke. And I'm going to tell you all the story because everybody said, well, man, that's the best accident ever. <laughs> okay. But, but <laughs> I ended up, I ended up buying a $5 longbow at, at a, we have a, what they call a dog trade. It used to be where everybody traded hunting dogs on Sunday over here. When I was younger, I bought a, I went over there and they sell all kinds of hunting stuff and this used stuff. And I bought an old bear, Fred Bear, Bearcat longbow for $5. And my buddy, he builds traditional strings. And I took it out there to him and he built me a string. And uh, first time I took it out, I doubted myself and doubted myself. And I thought, what am I going to do if, if a big deer comes by? I said, I've shot this thing a handful of times and I'm still not really good at it. And I was like, if he's 10 yards or in, I'll shoot at him. I said, but let me get a doe down first. So I go three or four days there, and uh, I'm sitting in a stand, and I see a doe coming. Well, I think it's a doe. It's so thick down in here. And I'm like, it's a doe. It's going to work out. So here comes this doe that I'm thinking is a doe. When it gets closer, I'm like, well, that might be a buck. And I'm looking at it, and uh, here he comes. And when I when he clears, I see his horns, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've messed up. I didn't bring a compound. I'm sitting here with, with this $5 dog trade bow and i'm like this is this in, in my my stomach i'm just sunk down i'm like this is one of the biggest deer that i've ever seen down here on this down in here on the river bottoms and i'm like and i got a five dollar dog trade bow and i'm like don't even shoot at him let him pass come back tomorrow and bring a compound and he comes up and he comes to about 15 yards and i'm like that's 15 yards I'm, i've been shooting my tail end off shooting this bow i'm like i can make it so anyway, I go to pull the bow back, and I'm so nervous that the, that I'm holding my finger. Before I knew what I was doing, and I shot very much tread, I got my finger over the shelf holding the arrow on the shelf of the bow. I go to pull it back, and I'm so nervous that I pull the arrow off the string, and the arrow falls down and hits the stand. And he jumps, and he looks back behind him, and he runs right under my stand to about eight yards and stops. And he's looking the other way. He don't know what's going on. And I'm sitting there shaking, and I'm trying to get another arrow out of the quiver. And I finally get another arrow, and I stick it on there. And he's looking behind him, and I'm like, it's eight yards. You can make this. You know, at that time, I didn't know it was eight yards. When I got down to the tree, I stepped it off. But anyway, I'm like, he's so close, you can make this shot. And I pulled back, and I was like, and I'm breathing hard. And I know this deer, he, he's thinking something's up. And uh, I got the whole tree shaking, I'm sure. And I let it go, and it just smokes and so I call a buddy when I get service. I get down and I go the opposite way and I get out there where I get service and I call a buddy. I'm like, I just shot a deer with that bow. He's like, how good of a shot was it? And I said, oh, it looked like it smoked me. And he says, you going to go look for him? I said, no. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm going to give him about five hours and I'm going to go look for him. I said, because I said, I'm nervous. I said, I don't know what, it was a 45 pound longbow. And I was like, I don't, he said, man, let me tell you something. He said, a 45-pound longbow, he said, will smoke plumb through a deer. He said, you got sharp broadheads? I said, yeah, I got sharp broadheads. And he said, yeah. he said, just just calm down. He said, you'll find him. So I gave him about an hour. I went and looked, and he was about 30 yards from the stand, dead in the doorknob. And then after that, man, I just – it was hard for me to pick up a compound. Again, I just that, – that'll kind of ruin you right there. And I've never killed another deer that big with a trad bow, but I've killed a lot of deer with a trad bow since then. And man, I love it. It's just, it's a rush. 
So, so do you think you were born with that lucky horseshoe, or did you acquire it with the five dollar bow? Yeah, it was. It, it had to have some. Was, I guess that was five dollars worth of luck that come with that bow. Good lord! I, I don't know. Something was looking out for me, man. There's a guy that. There's a guy that's won. He's won like the world like three times. He lives over here beside, beside me. The the world longbow shoot, and uh, he's been all over the country shooting. Man, he's a, he's a crazy awesome shot. And we went to some tournaments. And uh, I, I don't shoot a whole lot of tournaments, but I went one day and me and him shot in a group. I had to shoot it with him, not really against him, but he was part of the competition. And uh, he told me, he said, hey, he said, I've seen that deer. I had to take that deer here not too long ago and have him uh, have his nose redid. And uh, they repainted it, and he went over to a guy's house. He's friends with him, and he said, I've seen that deer you killed. And uh, he said, that's a, he said, that's a giant with a longbow. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, that's crazy. And I told him the story and he said, there's no way. And I said, yeah, man, that was my first year. And I thought it was a doe coming down the trail. And I told him about the arrow dropping and he's killed giants with his longbow. And he said, that is crazy. He said, man, the first year I ever shot with my longbow was a little bitty spike. And uh, I said, man, I said, that was just straight luck. I said, I'm, I'm not even going to try to lie and say it was skill or nothing else. Said, that was luck. He said, man, I wish I could have got that lucky. And I said, yeah, I said, I, I can't believe it. I still, we still got the bow to us. My son shoots that bow and he's won uh, two competitions with it, with that bow. So it was pretty cool. Dead gum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the 17 and under, he took it out two times and won both competition shoots that he shot with it. So, and he likes it. He loves it. And I'm like, man, don't ever lose that bow. Don't ever leave it nowhere. You know how teenagers are. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think they're hunting stuff to their buddy's house stuff. I said, don't ever leave that bow. I said, that bow is lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that was a little story. Kind of got off topic. No, man, that's perfectly on topic. So do you carry the compound anymore at all? Or are you just completely? No, no, man, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go into another story with y'all real quick. <laughs> go for this it. Year, this year we were, uh, we were up in Ada, Oklahoma, about 30 miles from, I live in Davis right here. I don't, I know I told you I lived in Davis, I think to begin with, but I wasn't sure. But so Ada's about 30 miles from us. My son said, let's go up to the, archery in the gun shop up there and i said okay let's go and so we went up there and we're looking around and they got this new, they got a new matthews it was the bxr i think mm-hmm. this year and uh and it was in the od green and everything 30 31 and a half and he said dad this bow is sweet and, and all this and i said do you, well, you think we ought to buy it and he's like yeah we ought to buy it we ought to buy it so before it was all over, the, the salesman up there, he put some voodoo on me and I had this bow all rigged out and I left with it and I brought it back home and I started shooting this bow and then I'd go get my recurve and shoot it. Then I'd shoot this bow and then I'd go get my recurve and shoot it. And I took it out one day and I shot two pigs with it and I, I videoed it. I put it on the Facebook. I, uh, I made two shots and I shot one pig like at 60 yards with it and just smoked it. And another pig was pretty close. I smoked it and I was like, you know what? It ain't nothing like shooting a trad bow. I didn't even feel the accomplishment, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but it didn't even, wasn't rewarding. You know what I mean? Like it would have been with a trad bow. So sure. But the, the deal with the trad bow that I like so much is you have to be so close on them, man. You, it, it don't come to the really as much as, the equipment as it does the 
the kind of your woodsmanship. And uh, man, I'm big on, on like woodsmanship. Sure. And uh, yeah, I actually own a tree company. I, I run a little old tree company here in Davis in the, when it ain't hunting season. And it's called Woodsman's Tree Service because, man, I've always said the first step to killing big deer is you got to be a woodsman or you got to be real lucky. But you're, but you're not going to be lucky consistently every year. You know, if you're going to kill a nice deer, you got to have some woodsmanship. And uh, I've, I've always taught my boy and everybody to don't step on something you can step over. You know, stuff like sure. that. Stuff my grandpa always told me. And it made, it made a lot of sense as I got older. Let's, let's chase that rabbit for a second. Kind of, I mean, obviously you said don't step on something you can step over, but what do, what do you kind of think are some of the other core tenets of being a good woodsman? Well, I'm going to go back to, and, and, and I, y'all probably heard this so much, I'm going to go back to like Fred Barron and those guys like that, that it's not much, it's not so much about camouflage because half the time I don't even wear camouflage. And uh, it, it's more about getting in the woods, sitting down, being still, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't there, it's just just that kind of thing. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into being a good woodsman, and uh, and I, I think being a good woodsman is just it, it, a lot of it's too is kind of off topic, but ethical stuff. You know what I mean? That people people do, and people take shots as crazy shots and and stuff, and and that's part of being a woodsman too, also. But but I just I just think that. I think the main thing is to get in a kind of get in the spot and sit down and be still and quit relying on equipment so much. And I, I, I do a lot because I don't know if I, I've talked to you and you kind of message back and forth. And, and I told you, I got a few hunts down here and uh, that's what I always tell my guys. The, they'll bring the, the ozonics and all this stuff <laughs> and, and and just they'll have a they'll have a duffel. It'll be like a duffel bag that they're carrying to a tree stand with them. And I'm like, look, guys, only got a 14 foot riverboat. It, it, we're we're going to sink this thing if we keep loading equipment in here. And I'm like, I, all you need to do is sit down and and be still and listen. You can you're going to kill 90 percent of deer, or you're going to know 90 percent of deer is coming your way if you're sitting. I don't know how y'all's is up there but down here in the, these cottonwood bottoms we'll have three inches of crunchy leaves you know everywhere mm-hmm. so and and it's so and it echoes down you know down these river banks and stuff you can hear something walking from a long ways away and uh i'm telling them to get off the phones and just listen and pay attention to the surroundings because i don't i don't know if y'all have ever listened to the birds but a lot of times the birds will, uh, will kind of telltale on stuff coming through the woods mm-hmm. and then the down here, the, we got the red squirrels. They'll sure tell on a deer when he's coming through. They'll they'll start barking at him. You know what I mean? You'll hear him way off barking, and one will bark, and then as he's coming on down, another one will start barking. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Little stuff like that. To me, helps a lot. It's it's funny you say that about um, woodsmanship because that's been on my mind this past weekend. I uh, I was on a blood trail and we lost blood. And in doing so, we started, they very quickly started resorting to other things. Like, for instance, we're in this muddy swamp area, and mm-hmm. the deer's going, the blood's going on a straight line, and then the, you can very clearly tell he's on a trail. Even mm-hmm. though the blood ran out, we were able to, and I watched these two gentlemen who hunt the swamps all the time, they were following fresh tracks in the mud. 
absolutely to the next pine flat and on the next pine flat we picked up blood again because it was easier to see than in the mud and it was just it was i remember sitting there thinking about it like first off i don't hunt mud that often so you know it doesn't really cross my mind but I'm sure at some point I would have done that, but it wasn't on the forefront of my mind to say, okay, well, what other sign is here besides blood? Mm-hmm. So absolutely, a lot of people don't ever think about that. When a deer's hurt, he's he's wounded. He's if he's running hard, he's digging in. He's digging into the ground. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of people that they don't mm-hmm. ever think about that. I'll find I'll find more deer than than most people just because if they if they don't see blood, then they're done. They're stopped. I've actually. I've had people say that there's no way we can find that deer that I've run out of blood. I've looked for blood, you know, and there's, there's no way. And then we go down there and 30 minutes later, I found him laying under a cedar, like up in the mountains. And he's like, well, how did you do that? And I said, look, he's dug in the whole way up this mountain right here. I said, he's hurt. I said, you you can trail a deer a lot more ways than, than this blood. And that's absolutely like you were saying, that's absolutely right. I think to a certain extent, that's kind of a lost art. Like, I hate to say that and just sound like the the guy that just says something cliche and, and easy, but it kind of feels that way somewhat. Um, it's something that has I've, I've discussed several times with some of the, uh, the friends of the podcast that you could really, like, I think you could really use to have a, a series on woodsmanship. Maybe that's something we'll put together one day. Yeah, absolutely, man. It needs to. Look, especially this the new generation of hunters and and stuff that they didn't have. You know, grandpa's teaching them. Kind of, they got into it on their own. Right. And like, and I'm glad those guys are. I welcome every hunter. And like me talking about and I and like me talking about hunting with a trad boat. I don't care what you want to hunt with, as long as you want to get in the woods and hunt. That helps all of us out. And man, I'm inviting like everybody. And and I'll even. Sometimes I'll see that on Facebook or on something on some on somebody will put a comment about you should have hunted with a trad bow or you should you know acting like like this and I'm like don't downgrade these guys let them let them get into it no matter what they want to because every every new hunter just helps us out mm-hmm. you know and and I'm glad to see it but but I I really believe like the new hunters is coming in and, and even the old hunters that's kind of lost the woodsmanship woodsmanship's a big deal. And uh, the more the more you can kind of be a better woodsman, the, the more to help you in all situations. Not just you know, not just hunting, just kind of anything outdoors. And uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see that'd be cool if y'all did that. Did a did a series on woodsmanship. What do you what do you think you attribute that to? The the loss of woodsmanship. I think, uh, man, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but I, I really think like. Just all the all the gadgets that they are you're relying on. You start relying on gadgets and technology and stuff, and you're relying on your natural instincts and kind of relying. You know what I mean? You're relying sure. on instead of relying on yourself, you're relying on other stuff, and and that's never good. I, there's only one thing you can rely on in this world, and that's yourself. And uh, that's what you need to. That's what you need to need to pay attention to everything. That's one thing I always do. It take it takes me. It might take, when I'm scouting, it might take me an hour to walk 100, 125 yards because I'm walking slow. I'm taking my time. I'm looking for every, but I can look, I can find 10 buck rubs that a buddy of mine might find one, you know, in a hundred yards. I can kind of, you know, I'm looking for trails and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but 
man, if everybody would slow down and just rely more on woodsmanship and gadgets and technology, it would sure, I think it would sure help everybody, but that's just my opinion, man. Well, and I also wonder, and you tell me, give me your feedback on this too, and I, and I kind of wonder if um, uh, access to information, not just the internet itself, but access to information hasn't also led to us diving into things that we previously didn't understand as well. And as a result, maybe we've forgotten some things along the way. For instance, you know, GPS is a thing and we can track deer movements and deer patterns and deer food sources. We understand what deer eat more now and moon phases Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I kind of wonder if some of this isn't like, I definitely agree. I definitely think gadgets have a lot to play with it because you know, it's much easier to buy GPS than it is to learn how to use a compass and a map. And you should have both of those skills if you're going anywhere off the road. Um, but I kind of also wonder if, you know, woodsmanship was long since acquired and new information that, that enters the scene, did that become a focal point of interest because it was new and woodsmanship has, has remained constant for hundreds of years? I lost you a focal point. Oh, I I was saying, I had it, we had a cutout first one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's doing pretty good. It was, we're uh, 20 minutes into this, but I just wonder if, if that new information, which was exciting and different became the focal point and the the older stuff just kind of fell by the wayside because it hasn't changed in a couple hundred years. Yeah, man, that's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's new and interesting and, and the moon phases and the, and like I say, you can get on there and that, I think that catches a lot of new hunters and, and even some of the older hunters eyes you know what i mean yeah because i've watched a lot of older hunters that i used to look up to and and used to think you know i want to watch these guys and tell how they do and and the, now they're they got so many gadgets and stuff that i'm like man that they're relying on all that so they're lying i think it's just it's just kind of something that's the new you know what i mean and everybody's kind of and now but i'm telling you now gadgets is coming coming to be the norm like i'm sure all the hunters here late you know lately they and i hate to say this but a bunch of my hunters that come down and hunt with me and stuff every year they they have zero woodsmanship skills and they're like and i and i tell them something and they're like oh you can just look and they'll show me something on the phone and i'm like yeah i'm like i understand that but i know i mean it's kind of each his own but but yeah that's i don't know i I don't know. I, I kind of beat a dead horse on that. <laughs> Everybody kind of gets tired of hearing me because I'm like, but I got a couple buddies that's, that's they're really good hunters and they're they're the same. They agree with me. They're like, yeah, man. Because we try to, because a lot of times, man, I'll go back. I'll go on an all day hunt and like I say, I'll carry. I don't ever carry a GPS, which I probably should. And it's it's stupid. But now a lot of you know I've I've walked every I've walked every inch of this down here where i hunt over and over and over again that's i'm a firm believer and you got to put in the effort you might not always kill the biggest deer and you might not always kill all you know fill all Mm -hmm. your tags or whatever but i'm a firm believer if you put in all the effort you can walking and scouting personally and finding in the off season and 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 listening and looking and i i I think you you got tons of chance you know better chances you just up your odds so yeah man that's kind of that's kind of where i stand on the on the woodsmanship though but i think everybody ought to ought to learn it ought to at least take a class in it 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but but the deal but the deal is is I don't know for y'all, but like the old timers, that, that before anything come out, the technology or anything come out, I got a chance to hunt with all them my whole life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I learned so much from just watching those guys. We could go way back in the mountains coon hunting at nighttime in the thickest cedars down here you ever seen in the Arbuckle. Y'all ever been through the Arbuckle Mountains? No, man. Nope. Yeah, man, the cedars are thick. They're, they touch each other, and they're just, you know, they're eight foot across and 14 foot high, and they just cross each other, just touch each other. So you get up in them way back in the mountains, you can't see nothing. And, I mean, we I can't tell you how many nights we went way back in there, and then we just come right back out. Cause those old timers, man, they just knew. Mm-hmm. They just watch what, and I and I always did that. Watch what we come by, you know. Watch what we cross. If we cross a, you know, a stream down there, a creek or whatever, watched, and and then we just come right back out of there. And we'd be sometimes we'd be two or three miles over in there, and that don't seem too far to you know some backcountry hunters or anything. But two or three miles back in these cedars where you can't see nothing is a long ways. Sure. And uh, yeah, so man, I I think. I just think that a lot of people ain't had, you know, got to really watch or hunt with the old timers that that didn't know no different. That they, they had to rely on woodsmanship, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of that's kind of what I that's what I kind of think, and, and it's a shame because these older people can 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 tell you stuff that they've learned in a lifetime that you know what I mean that just will amaze you. Oh yeah. So well, and and what they learned in a lifetime. In, in addition to whatever it is someone else learned and taught them, right? The best lesson learned are the lessons learned by others. You know, yep. I, I always, I agree with that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, let's talk, let's dig into these mountains because we talked earlier, I had no clue Oklahoma had mountains. And in addition to mountains, it sounds like you got some really like unique mountains. Like it's not just, you know, uh, you know, hills and trees, you know, these, these cedars that touch each other. There's a, a variety of species that are starting to show up. Kind of mm-hmm. give us the lay of the land. What's, uh, where in Oklahoma are the mountains and, well, and, well, and what are they the, like? Yeah. The, well, the biggest mountains are down in Eastern Oklahoma. I'm in South Central Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, I'm in the Arbuckle Mountains, the Eastern Mountains and that kind of run over into Arkansas down there around Beaver's Bend and you go in all them places that those are are quite a bit bigger mountains than what we have and uh i live in the arbuckle mountain at the foot of the arbuckle mountains and that's what i hunt in there there i would we call them mountains but people from out in colorado and stuff would just call them big big hills okay (laughs) yeah i've 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 did that i've talked to them guys a lot and they would actually call us flatlanders and uh, I got some buddies from Colorado, and they said, "Oh, you're you're a flatlander. You don't live in the mountains. You live in some hills." And uh, but they're actually one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world. The Arbuckle Mountains are really and uh, yeah, yeah. It's they're, they're they're cool, man. We have you ever heard of Turner Falls? It's a seventy-seven foot waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I live like five minutes from that. Oh wow! Right here in the mountains. So yeah, and I actually hunt about a hundred yards from from that or well probably 200 around 200 yards from that is kind of i gotta i lease a lot of the mountains down here that i right across from there so i hunt back in there too and uh so it's it's cool but man we got so many cedars in here and uh 
and they get so so thick that it's hard to hard to see anything but you can find open draws going down and you can you can hunt some you can hunt those open draws and they're they're awesome because those uh those deer uh, really get out of there and they'll walk those draws and uh they're awesome to hunt when you get in there but yeah the the bigger mountains like i say is over east but they're and, and there's great hunting it's all public down there and so man they kill some giants down in there down east no that's okay down east i got you yep yeah that's that's eastern oklahoma kind of yeah kind of it's it's about an hour from me and uh back to the east but man it's all public hunting there's there's i don't know how many tracks of public hunting in those mountains and people go down there and <laughs> camp and and they kill they kill a lot of a lot of nice deer out of those mountains no those the ozarks uh no uh no, the, the, I'm embarrassing myself. I should hush. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I look here. I live in Oklahoma, and I don't even know what they call them. We've always called them over east. <laughs> over east. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oklahoma's funny, man. Like that. We we have our own slang down here, and they're like, "We're if somebody's going to go hunt those mountains, they're like, we're going over eastern." Yeah. And then you just know eastern means eastern Oklahoma. They're going to go hunt the eastern Oklahoma mountains over there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of how we tell. We just call them eastern Oklahoma mountains. It's uh, there's they do a lot of logging over there. See that it, it changes a lot within an hour. It's all uh, it's all big pines over there in those mountains. I got you. And okay. they they do a lot of logging over there. A lot of bear over there too. A lot of bear. Okay, and uh, a lot of people don't don't know that, but but we have a uh, and our bears kind of had a, a one of the biggest success in repopulating bear in the United States. Really? Yeah, in in in, in the black bear, they repopulated them here quite a few years ago, and man, they just they just boomed, and they're doing awesome. We got a heck of a bear hunting season now here in Oklahoma, and they keep moving more toward our mountains and they're actually they're having a lot of bear sighting just like 20 minutes from us so so that they're expecting it won't be another probably another two years and they'll be in the arbuckles where i live now is that going to be a good thing for you <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> no, bears don't bother me for sure i got i got some coon dogs and as long as they don't go to tree and bears i'll be all right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't think i can climb a tree and kick a bear out to them but <laughs> i'll yeah. probably just have to catch them up and lead them off <laughs> oh, yeah man. i don't know we've had a few we've had a few pictures around here i know some guys that's got got some corn feeders up in the mountains at their houses and they've had a few pictures of, of black bears already tearing their tearing their feeders up and everything so I don't know. I bet they'll be rough on these guys that that feed. They got feeders. I bet they'll be rough on their feeders. For oh sure. yes, they will. Oh yeah. Do y'all have bears? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I've had some not so pleasant encounters with bears as well. So, um, they're our nuisance is hogs. <laughs> yeah, we got those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have tons of hogs. I kill hogs all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, yeah, man. So quite that bad. Say what's that, Chase? I said we don't have them quite. I don't think we have them as quite as bad as they do. Hogs. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, then I really feel sorry for you guys. That's nuts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the la- last bow hunter I had down, he that's what he told me. He said during the daytime, he said I had 52 hogs from daylight to dark, he said, walk down the trail. Oh, my God. Said, down the deer trail. And I said, you did? And he said, yeah. He said, I've never got so tired. He said, listen to leaf crunch and thinking, oh, here he comes. Because I always tell him, you listen for leaves. I said, you right. pay attention. And, and I said, because as thick as the timber is down here on the river, they'll, they'll be on you before you know it, you know, because you can't, you're not going to see 20 yards in front of you at all. Mm-hmm. So, so you're what, I mean, the way I, the way I set up and everything is all at once he's going to be on you. So you have to listen. And, uh, and that's what he said. He said, man, I, he said, I'd get ready. He said, and then the next thing I know it'd be a hog. I'd get ready. And he said, it'd be eight hogs He said <laughs> all day long. He said, I'm so tired of seeing hogs. And he was from Minnesota and they never see hogs. And he said, I'm so tired. He ended up shooting too, but, but yeah, hogs is a, is a major nuisance. Yeah. So how does how does hunting with a recurve bow and th- super thick stuff like that does that play an advantage for you? Or do you feel like it's a a disadvantage? Absolutely. Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, it plays an advantage for me. I'm an instinctive shooter. There's a lot of different ways that the trap shoots, and I mean they they do everything. They they string walk and and then they got a point on so they know where to hold their arrow at. Mm-hmm. And me, I just look and uh, I just look at what I want to aim at you know what I want to hit. I just, I focus, I don't ever look at my arrow. I don't focus on it. And you build muscle memory after so long of shooting. And so, but yeah, hunting the thick stuff, usually my shots is 12 yards and in. So, so it, it works awesome for me. But, but I think if the guys that come down here and try to hunt with a compound, they have a lot of trouble because they're used to practicing 30, 40 yards out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I tell, I tell them, forget about that. 30 and 40 yard pin you better focus on that 20 yard pin and in <laughs> yeah and, right yeah yeah they hunt and they're like this is the thickest stuff and like, <laughs> we can't see nothing and i said and and they're like we're not seeing that many we're not seeing even a bunch of small deer and i and i tell them and i always tell them i say well are you going are you want to shoot really small deer and they say no and i say well then what's it matter i said just wait and they always end up killing usually killing a pretty good deer so they're happy but Whenever they first get here, you can see the doubt when I pick them up in the dark out of the boat or whatever, you can see the doubt in their eyes. They're like, you realize that I can't see the length of the pickup or maybe a little bit farther in front of me. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm like, it'll work out. Just stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) And usually they're happy they do. So, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's advantage. Yeah, for I could, me. I, I could totally see that. If everything has to be up close and personal, it's kind of like my uncle was telling me. Uh, I was practicing for my Colorado hunt two years ago, and or a year ago, and uh, he's like, "Just, just worry about 20. And I was like, "Well, I need to worry about sixty, and you know, I'm practicing at sixty. Just worry about twenty. And then I looked it up, and what he was talking about the average shot in Colorado with the bow is twenty-two yards. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, then when you get out there, and those woods are so thick, when you when you get to the points where there's there aren't other hunters, the woods are thick." Like mm-hmm. it, 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 20, like, I, I don't, th- I couldn't envision a place where I would have had a 30 yard shot on anything. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. What's the, what's the whitetail quality like in Oklahoma? Cause you, you shoot some really fine deer. I, I'm curious are those, does it take, you know, five or six years for that? Or, or, you know, does, does Oklahoma have just carry a, a real awesome deer herd? O- Oklahoma's a sleeper state for sure. Not anymore. Man, Oklahoma. 
Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. But I've, I've been saying that for the last ten years. Man, Oklahoma's a sleeper state because because I can. But now I also I spend a lot of time watching for deer, glassing for deer, sitting in the off season on the river, just watching big straightaways where I know they cross, and uh, and all over. I mean, all over down in here. I'll spend a lot of time watching, and I I see. I mean, we got quality deer here, super quality deer, and uh, man, we've we've uh, we got good good herds too. I mean, good numbers of deer, and uh, all of our deer is healthy. And I mean, Oklahoma Oklahoma has really got a a good population of deer, and, and they're all good and healthy, but. But yeah, our deer just seems like getting bigger. It seems like everybody kind of the last few years has kind of got on the, the let them grow. You know what I mean? Let's give them another year or two, let them grow, and uh, we're 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 really seeing it, man. It's really getting the benefits of it. So I'm tickled. What's a what's a average buck in Oklahoma? What do you think? Well, I can t- I can tell you that. Man, it's hard. It's kind of hard to say. It just it, and it kind of depends on where you're at. Sure. Because let me tell you something, Oklahoma, and and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a hillbilly too. But Oklahoma's full of hillbillies. You got some counties that shoot everything they see, and 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 you know what I mean. The average year that you're going, if you're just going to come for like a four or five day hunt, you're going to see a lot of like one twenties. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In some areas, and then you get into some of these areas that everybody's like, hey the last three years or four or five years we've been letting them pass and, and not killing any anything letting them grow and, and trying to kill four and a half five-year-old deer and then average you're going to see a lot of 145 150s and that's you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. that's nothing and uh like like this year and me and a neighbor of mine that kind of neighbors up to, to where my camp is where i'm at now we both passed on on some young deer that that would go 145, 150s, and uh, and like I say, because we're looking at next year and in the year after that. But and man, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you what I got. Uh, I, I'm the world's worst because I got some bunch of because you know I, like I was telling you earlier, I'll go in and I'll put a trail cam. I might have ten. 11 trail cameras out along the river up in the mountains and starting way back in areas just trying to see what's running in there and i got i had one book that two years i've watched him for two years on the river bottom and whenever i found him he was probably a 150 and uh, I, I knew he was young deer and i rattled back in there and i rattled him in i rattled him in two times in the season i didn't shoot him i let him grow last year i had a chance to shoot him with a rifle and i didn't shoot him and then this year, I said, I'm going to kill him this year. So he blew up. He was a 170, a little bit more than 170. And uh, so this year, he come in, and he was he was nocturnal. So I got deeper in there, got deeper in there, and got one picture of him in the daylight. And he was in there about 830. And uh, I said, man, I got to kill him this year. And actually, about three days ago, the uh, landowner about a mile and a half from where my base camp is ended up killing him chasing the doe and he ended up being 172 and a quarter so Ooh. so he was a he ended up being a really good deer 
I got a bunch of pictures of him. I was sad, but at least he got big. You know what I mean? At least mm -hmm. I passed him and me and him was talking. I said, I passed that deer so many times. I said, and this, <laughs> this year I was going to kill him. I said, but I was glad to see you, see you got him. But man, he ended up just being a, uh, just a monster. You and but, Chase, uh, you and Chase have that willpower. I don't know that I'll ever have. Man, I do. I do. You can get on my Facebook and see where I, I'm videoing a hundred and thirty-five, hundred forty-inch deer, and they're under the stands, and and you know, right under me, and I'm sitting there just smiling because I'm like, man, that deer's got to let him live. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I just, man, I love it. All I think about is hunting big deer, like. Right now, I'm like ready for next year. I'm already thinking about where I'm going to go into, and so I'm like, I, I told myself quite a few years ago, I was like, man, I'm going to get on board on this, not shooting everything I see, you know, and and not shooting the first thing I see and the first decent buck I see, and I'm going to try it. And it seems like, like it really, like it really did pretty good. So, yeah, it takes a little well willpower though. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah if you want to kill a big one that's what you got to do <laughs> especially especially when you get 140 145 inch deer and he's at eight yards nine yards with a, with a trad bow in front of you and you're like <laughs> man i can smoke him it takes every bit of willpower i have to hold back but i'm like man next year if he comes in here what's he, he might put on 15 20 inches you know more i'm like yeah yeah it's, it's hard to but it's worth it man it is worth it. And man, I, I've, as I've got a little bit older, I've got where it's more about the adventure of a, of a hunt. And that kind of sounds cliche, but to me, it's just, it's just awesome. All the work and the preparation and everything that goes into it. A lot of people hate that part and they gripe about that part. I love that part. Hell, that's my favorite part. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite turn into being my favorite part of the hunt. So I was just wanting to know what your preparation is maybe going into a season uh, I feel like a lot of people kind of um, don't prepare as much as they should. And it sounds like that you're hunting the way that you kind of go into it is it's almost like a 365 day thing for you. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, absolutely man, man. I'll, uh, I'll work hard in the summertime just to be able to take off and I'll take off in September at the first of September and I won't go back to work till you know, probably the middle of February or the end of February. <laughs> and I've did that ever since I can remember. And it's a joke around town because, uh, like I say, I got a tree business now, but I used to be a welder and, uh, everybody would tell them they better come get me to do build a barn or, or to weld up cattle guards or whatever I was doing. I said, you better get him while it's spring. They said, cause toward the end of summer said he's going to be gone. And, and I used to make a guy mad every year. I would contract to him building metal buildings. And I would tell him, I said, now the first of September, I won't be here no more. I won't be back till next spring. And he'd, he'd start laughing and he'd be mad at me because the first of September he'd be calling. He'd go straight to voicemail. Cause I'd be down here on the river or up in the mountains or somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd be mad. It'd take him about three months to talk to me again. <laughs> and, uh, I told him, I said, man, that's just the way I live. And my wife, when we first got married, when we were young, she, uh, she knew it, but she didn't like it. But now the last eight, nine years, it's just, she don't <laughs> never say a word. She just smiles. She knows she she knows i'll try to put enough money up to get us through and so <laughs> and so uh 
man, that's kind of a that's kind of a passion. But as far as preparation, man, I'll start I'll start right now. I'll start trying to get everything in line for for next season. If whenever, like, say, I go in there and I find something that I I know I want to hunt and I know I need to clear that tree, I want to do it now, you know. So when I come back, I might just have to pull some vines out or or just try to clear a little little brush to get in there real quietly or something. I I want to do that now and get it ready. I don't want to be doing that right at the first of October. I know a lot of people that'll wait right till the first. That's when our season opens up. Is October first is when our archery season opens up. And they'll be in there on the first day, you know, trying to cut branches and and put new ratchet straps on their on their stands or or whatever whatever it may be. Or I want to be doing that and then already have it done ready to go. So I know whenever I go in there, but I try to I try to get in. I I've got more into lot like carrying a lightweight stand and lightweight sticks. So I kind of I like to move around a lot so that i'll go in there and i'll prep the tree up and i'll have i might have 10 trees kind of prepped so down here now if it's public it's a different different story i like to go over and hunt public actually that uh, i killed a pretty good buck this year on public with my recurve and and you kind of can't cut nothing over there so i can't do much preparation work over there i can kind of drag stuff out of the way to get way back in there if we're going to take a boat or something, we can kind of go over there and kind of prep where we're going to where we're going to dock the boat up at, or however. But yeah, I try to make sure everything's in line and preparation. Like bow, I try to shoot my bow from from right now year round. I try to shoot my bow year round, and a lot of guys will stop shooting their bow during hunting season, and I don't. I'll I'll shoot my bow like midday if I come into camp. I'll shoot my bow maybe thirty times, forty times a day. Try to, and so. I don't ever quit. I know a lot of guys that don't pull their bow out till the night before and go out there and start shooting their bow, you know, right at dark and shoot three or four times and be like, that's good. And then two days later, they've, they've wounded a deer, shot him through the front leg or something. And I'm like, man, you got to put in that, that preparation and get everything ready and everything right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at on, on preparation. I don't have, I'm not just a book of, knowledge to tell y'all on that it's i hunt a little different than most people so so right. but but my my main preparation is setting up getting my trees ready that i go in there and find area i'm like yeah i'm hunting this and i want that tree to be ready i don't know on public land if y'all can cut limbs or not but we can here on public land no it's heavily frowned upon yeah yeah it is here we can't use screw in anything or nothing like that so i find a good spot in our public land, they move a lot. Our deer kind of, they get heavily pressured in areas and they kind of just move on on public. And so I have to go a little farther every year in, in little pockets. And I hunt a lot of, I actually hunt a lot of pockets of public land right off the road, right next to the road. I'll I'll get a map and I'll find little bitty pockets. And that's where I really did good at. And that's what I did this year. Hmm. I'm giving all my secrets out. You are, man. You are. <laughs> yeah. To all four yeah, of our listeners. I'll have 50, 50 guys right <laughs> off the road hunting down here in public. But, but I found that. Now that now I found out the last couple of years that kind of – are y'all familiar with uh, Hunting Public oh, yeah. on YouTube? Well, oh, I yeah. found out that a lot of people is getting 
starting to try to push farther back in, you know, to where they used to not do that. Mm-hmm. Which, which it's good because it's showing that the people's putting forth the effort, and I'm all about that. But now it seems like they're pushing down here in my area anyway. I got to thinking. I was seeing people farther in than I normally ever seen anybody in on public. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do some scouting right beside the roads in, in, in certain pockets, a really thick brush right beside it. I'm, I'm all about really thick brush. That's all. That's what I hunt. You, you have a place that you can't walk through that a rabbit couldn't go, or you got the prettiest oak bottom down through there that's open up and you can see 70, 80 yards in every direction. I'm going to go where the rabbit couldn't go. I'm going to be hung up briars around my neck you know not, not being able to get through there cussing it but i'm going to get in there and that's where i'm going to hunt at that's what i've always hunted and that's what's always worked out for me so i'll find those pockets right beside the road and and i'll get in there and it man it seems like the last couple of years that it's really just it's, it's really been good to me and so I, I know I got off topic again, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that should be the title of the podcast. It shouldn't be Chasing Tales Outdoors. It should be Off Topic with Walton Chase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Off Topic. I can't stay on topic, man. I get, I get to thinking about stuff. Yeah. Well, that's where we get the gems. That's yeah. Where we get little gems and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but man, I, I've, I've got to notice in that. I, I've been finding a lot more people, and a lot more people is, like, hunting off kayaks and stuff on public, man. And they're yep. crossing the waterways that nobody ever crossed. Like 10 years ago, nobody ever put a kayak in and, and crossed the waterways or went way up like Rock Creek or somewhere down here. And now I'm finding these guys doing that. Well, it's putting more pressure back there and it's pushing the deer around. So I'm finding now that that these little pockets off the road that people just drive by just going to another, you know, to get back in there is is really good. It's, it's really working out, so. I think uh, I think maybe it's like a combination of maybe you got hunting public and YouTube showing those strategies, and then like we mentioned before, everybody's got a handheld GPS on their phone, Onyx, so they're not scared to go back in the woods anymore because they know they can get out. They can track how they went in and how they can come back out. Uh, I think that's played a lot into it. Is like the cyber scouting beforehand and not really having any worries about oh am I going to get lost? Uh, no, I've got my handheld gps here it's going to get me right back to the truck if i if i dive deep in uh what about what about your uh, trail cam strategy you mentioned you run trail cameras uh we like to run trail cameras too what's your trail cam strategy for something where you're, you're hunting sounds like you're hunting river bottom and you're hunting the mountainous terrain out there how do you go about doing that okay well my trail camera on the mountains is I was talking to you earlier about the draws and how thick the cedars are and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the the deer down here are going to travel the are going to travel because like I say, where I hunt at, there's not a lot of pressure at all. They you know what they don't hardly ever see anybody, and so they travel kind of the draws because they're the clearest. So I'll try to I'll try to get down where two or three draws will meet off the side of the mountains. I'll back up and I'll look and I'll think. Okay, that's going to be the easy. If I if I'm going to have to walk this every day, I'm going to walk, and, I'll, and you know I kind of map out a route, and I'll put it right there, kind of at the intersection in, in the mountains. Is how I do, and it's always worked. And I'll back up, and I might have four or five out in di- different draws out there. That's kind of how I how I scout them. I'll put it right where I where they have to come by, where I think that they're going to come by for sure, and it always works good. Down here on the river section, we have a uh, what we call like it's like a scrawl 
it's i don't know if y'all have it there or not but we got these green scrolls and they're about three and a half four foot tall and they're just thicker than hair on the dog's back down in here and you can see where they're walking them and you can see where they're beat out because once they get them laid over they're going to stay on top of them they're going to walk them because if they don't they're going to have to fight it again trying to break them over and so i'll always get on them and and they, they look like intersections in different spots down through here and i'll just back up kind of those intersections in the most in like we were talking about tracks and everything earlier in woodsmanship i'll watch where it looks like the, the deeper because it's kind of sandy softer ground down in here and I'll, I'll see where they're just beating it out sinking their feet sinking down in there and uh i can almost tell you right where they're coming through and how often they are by looking at that sand because the more they turn that sand over, the wetter it's going to be. The, the less that they travel, the drier it's going to be. It's going to be kind of a drier crust on the ground. And so I'll find that wetter kind of sand, sandy sand where they've been turning it over, and I'll always stick truck hammer on that. And then buck rubs. I'll, uh, I don't I don't care what people say. I, I've had a lot of people tell me that bucks don't use this, the same, you know, rubs every year, but they use the, they'll use the same area. If that buck makes it and he's rubbed a lot in there, he's going to run that same area the next year and, and put rubs in there. So I'll always back up in that area. And I might put two or three cameras out in one little low area, just facing around different directions. Where, where, and, I, and that always tends to work really good for me on that. But now I'll run. I don't know what cameras y'all run or anything, but. Have y'all ever run the seen the Tasco, just the cheap twenty nine dollar camera? Yeah, that's my bread oh, and yeah. butter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I run. I got I bought ten new ones this year, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm like, man, you can't beat those. They're, I mean, they're not the highest quality cameras there is, but they can tell me everything I need to know. And yeah. uh, so I, I'll, man, I'll just I'll stick those suckers out. And even if it's for three or four days, just on something I I think that looks good and and that and and I'll move them. I don't care to move them every four or five days or whatever. And uh, till I find, so that's that's kind of what I do, man. I just put a lot of effort into it because I'm not no. I I can't tell you everything about a deer. I can't tell you, but I can tell you one thing: if you put enough effort and put enough cameras out and, and get them in there and eventually you're going to pick up a deer and then once you pick him up you can kind of hone in on him i'll put maybe a camera i'll think he's either bedding in this area or he's bedding over here so i'll spread out put a camera on this area put a camera over there okay now i know he's bedding over here i'll get one picture of him going you know in there early in the morning and i know that's a bedding area and that's kind of how i hone in on him you know sure that's kind of that's kind of my strategy on, on there and a lot of people okay. don't like don't like running trail cameras too much they say it's putting you're putting too much sin in there i've never i've never had a have a problem with that i've had some big five and a half six year old deer that's you know as smart as they come and i don't go in there and spit all over the ground and and do all that i just go in there eat in there and put one up and get out of there and uh, that's kind of how i do it i don't worry about worry about putting too much sin in there Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it, if you can find them, I mean, that's, that's what your goal is, is to find them. So if, if you're if you're leaving them there for forever and nothing's on those cameras, then they did nothing for you. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I've never understood. These guys will take cameras and they'll put them in, in an area and they won't come back and touch them for three or four months. 
And then they come back and touch them. And, and the whole time they're telling me, you're, you're running cameras too much. You're going into cameras too much. And then they pull their cameras out, and all they got is a bunch of does and a bunch of hogs and stuff on there. And then here I pull my cameras out, and I say, well, I've had this one up three days, and look at this deer, and look at this deer. <laughs> I've got tons of – got tons and tons of good bucks. Now, uh, granted, I, ain't, I didn't kill them this year, but I've got them all over. I mean, I've probably got 200 pictures of different bucks in, in between the mountains. And here, nice bucks from 145. Cause I'll screenshot every one that's about 100 and – 35 145 on up you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah so so i know and uh i can go back and i can look at it and say you know this is the end of september this is the middle of october and i've got this deer five times in a week coming by here in the middle of october i can kind of get a pattern get a strategy you know from that way and so i don't go into hunting season blind not knowing what i got i go into hunting season knowing that but I got deer because I've run my cameras every three to five days, you know. I don't know where the deer are at. And so that kind of, that helps me a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's all dependent on like a little bit of maybe pressure. I know some people like to let them soak for like maybe the next year type thing. Well, they'll go in and they'll, they're not really necessarily using them for that season. They're like, okay, I'm not necessarily going to hunt this area this year, but I'm going to leave a camera over here and let it soak for three or four months to, to get some intel. But I'm, I'm on the same track as you. I, I like going in and getting the most recent intel I can get of, okay, that buck's been in here uh, several times. I need to get in here and hunt now as opposed to I let it sit for three weeks and he came by five times in a, a week span or something like that. And you're like, well, I should have been here then because now he's moved on or now he's worried about does or something like that. So I'm, I'm on that same strategy. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of people say, Oh, you don't worry about October. I'm not, I don't even, I'm not even concerned in October because that's the null or whatever everybody calls it. They call it the null up down here or whatever. The, is that how you say it? The null or the law? The law, the yeah, law. The October yeah, law. Yeah, the October yep. law, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> kind of the same I'm thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's crazy because uh, that, that, they just rely on the rut to bring a buck by. I don't want to rely on the rut to bring a buck by, which I know it does, I know it happens, and I know that, that you can kill giants that way. But I want to know where the buck's living at, what area he's bedding in, because you know what he's going to do? It, when when it comes time to start sitting checking and they're getting it on their mind, they're going to run their home base first. Right. And they're going to check their home. They're not going to leave and go three miles right off the bat. They're going to run their does in their area first. And right. uh, so I want to know what's staying in that area, what's bedding in that area constantly. Because at the first October, I, I want to know where my deer are. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be behind on that. I figure if you're up a leg on that, then you're already you're setting yourself up a little better. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't just want to rely on the rut to bring a deer by. Yeah. Yeah. That, that deer I killed in public hunting this year, I I was, I had, I've got him two months prior to that. I mean, on the site, on the trail. And, uh, it was like clockwork, man. I had him on the trail and, and kept having his pictures and kept having his pictures and on there. And, uh, I had a little mishap with him because the first time I went in there to hunt him, I know what trail he was running. And I got in there and about nine 30 that morning, he come down the trail and, uh, this deer is, he's, he's been pressured before. And I don't know if, if like just boats and stuff like that coming in out of our lake is 
got him pressured or what, but at one time or another, he had seen a hunter in a tree stand because I go in there that morning, I set up my tree stand, never have been on that trail before or anything. And uh, I knew he'd be coming down it sooner or later that day. And uh, I was up there. I could hear him coming. I seen him coming through the thickest stuff that you can imagine. And he has to weave his horns to get in and out of there. And he's weaving his horns. And I'm watching him the whole time. I'm already up. I got my recurve ready. And he comes down through there. And he gets out of the – he breaks, finally breaks a big old sapling with his horns and pulls it out. And he steps out in just a little bit of an opening right there. And he looked straight up at me like like I'd not moved or anything. And he just looked straight up in the tree at me and starts backing up. And uh, I'm like, he's good, he's good, you know, he's not going to bust. And he like, looks down, he looks back up, and he looks down, and I'm just being still. And he turns just a little bit, and he gets broadside, and I let the arrow fly on him. And when I do, it hits a – I couldn't see it from where I was sitting. It hits a sapling about the size of your thumb and it shoots my arrow about 50 foot straight up in the air until i can't see it no more it's like the arrow's going i could see it for like 50 foot because i shoot solid white fletchings and a white wrap on and it goes up and i'm like damn and uh he trots off man and he's like what just happened and he trots off and i'm like all right i'm like i gotta get different strategy on this deer because he's he's already coming through looking up in the trees and stuff so I get another couple of trail cameras pictures of him and I'm like, he's using another trail consistently, but not all the time. So I go in there and I hunt the first day and never see nothing. And the second day I hunt and I hunt almost till dark and I had a decent little, probably 125, maybe 130 inch deer come under me. And I'm like, he's fixing to be dark pretty quick. I'm like, he ain't going to make it today. And about that time, I no more get that thought out. And I hear him down through there. And I look down, here he comes down the trail. And uh, he was doing the same thing. He'd come out and he'd look up. When he got to the bigger timber, he'd look up. He'd look up in the trees. And he'd just look right through me, man. He'd come out there. And he, he was just about to get right. And he looked straight up at me. And he just kind of turned again to do the exact same thing. And he turned. And went broadside, and I let her fly again and just drilled him that time. But I was like, man, that deer. I was like, I've never <laughs> seen a deer that just walks through the timber looking straight up in every tree. Right. I was like, yeah. I was like, I was like, man, maybe I should have wore camouflage this time. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pair of camouflage pants on, but I just had a great, just a great hoodie on. <laughs> and I was like, when he looked up at me, I was like, hey, I should I should invest in some high dollar camo like everybody else. <laughs> oh, man. Dang. <laughs> but, yeah, I ended up getting him. I was tickled, man, because I had a lot of pictures of him. How long How yeah. long will you uh, – how, how much effort will you put into an area hunting – you know, you said you you, you move and move pretty quickly with trail cameras. How how much time do you put into an area hunting before you feel like uh, it, it it may influence that area, or do you think you can sometimes just get away with it? Uh, wh- what do you mean? Like, how long do will, will I sit in there and actually hunt? Well, I mean, like how many? So, like, you find a great trail. Um, mm-hmm. si- sign is there. A lot of people subscribe to the first hunt, first sit, best sit mentality. But I found sometimes. You can hunt an area several times and still have success, and it kind of takes that depending on the size of their range. Um, do you con- are you constantly on the move, or will you dedicate a couple sits to a, a hot area before you do? Oh yeah, dude, I, I give my I, I give myself three. If I'm not hunting all day, 
I'll hunt an area. And I had to do this for discipline because I found myself getting in to, cause I found, cause I do so much scouting and I know, and I got so many different spots that I would like to hunt mm-hmm. that if I don't discipline myself, that I'll catch myself jumping around I'm my world's worst enemy. I'm like, I knew this morning I should have went deep into this spot on the river. Or I should have went deep into this spot on a mountain draw or something. And so I, I told myself, I'm going to sit three morning sets and three evening sets if there's good sign you know and i got trail camera pictures and i know the deer's in the area mm-hmm. i'm gonna you know i'm gonna keep because you know how deer are man they can they can come through just 20 minutes after you climbing down to the stand sure a- after dark you know or whatever and then and then you're thinking you know what i mean you're thinking but every time i get a trail camera picture and i do this as a rule if 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 i got him like consistently at night time I try to map out where he's coming from and I try to, I try to say, okay, 30 minutes before it would still be daylight. So give me 30 minutes of him just walking up this trail. And if I can, I'll try to go up the trail where I'm thinking I can catch him before, you know, when, when it's kind of October, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to catch him before dark. So I'll move closer to where I think he's coming out of a bedding area. At. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And I'll always do that, but man, I try to dedicate like it, if if I know there's a nice deer there and and, a, and something I really 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 want to hunt and really want to try to get killed, I'll try to dedicate at least three sets in the morning, three sets in the evening there before I before I try to switch up on him. Okay. And it don't I don't always do it, but and then sometimes I do it a little longer. But that's kind of what I I had to teach myself because I I find myself wanting to bounce around every now and then. Sure. And and the truck cameras that showed me that bouncing around sometimes is the worst thing I can do because I'll miss that deer the hunt two days and the third day he come through there two different times you know, and I'm like man, but yeah that's kind of that's kind of the rule of thumb. And if I have an encounter with a deer like that, and uh, like like he blows on me or, or I seen him and I don't I don't never get blowed on too often, and. uh I'll take him to, I'll always change it up, man, on him because I'm a firm believer is, you know, they know their home and, and, and they know, they know where they got spooked at or whatever. And, uh, so I'll try to switch it up on him, man, and, and try to move around a little bit. I might move up the trail or move down the trail or uh, kind of however, but that's kind of my strategy on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, do y'all do y'all try to sit longer, or or how do y'all sit? Chase, what what's your you you start with that, and then I'll add my two cents. It just depends, like I said, if I've got the deer on camera in that area and he's not really no pattern, but I know that's like kind of his core area, then I'll dedicate as many sits kind of as it takes, as long as the conditions will allow me to hunt there. Like if the wind's right or if mm-hmm. I'm just going, okay, I know he's bedded in here somewhere. Then if the wind's good, then I'm going to sit there. Um, if not, then I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. go blow it, blow him out of there, but it's just, yeah. sometimes it takes those just, you got to keep going in there over and over and again. And so be like, well, you're leaving your ground scent. You're leaving that. Well, maybe, but mm-hmm. he, he just may not have crossed in that hole. He may not have crossed that area at all that night and or even that next morning. And he never knew you were in there that hunt. And as long as I keep getting him on camera in that area, then I'm, I'm going to keep devoting myself to that. I may, and now I may move a 
trees or something like that here and there, but I'm still kind of sticking to that area where I think my best odds of getting the shot that I want is, is how I'm going to, is how I'm going to approach it. And I'm not going to just go, well, I sat that once. That was my best time in. It's over because I've sat in spots (laughs) and not seen anything the first time in and then go back the next day. And it's like gangbusters out there and you're seeing 10 does and three or four bucks. I mean, so um, I think that there are some sound principles to the first sit in. um, But I, I also believe that that's not the necessarily end all be all that I've killed plenty of deer. I, the deer I just killed, it was probably my fifth sit in there when I killed him. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't see him at all till that fifth sit, but I knew he was in that area and Absolutely. I was seeing plenty of other deer. And I, as long as the wind was good and I wasn't really messing those other deer up, they were still hanging around. So I was like, well, I'm good. Yeah. So that's how I approach it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, man. I'm with you on that for sure. Um, I, I've kind of gotten to that same, that same way. Um, where I'll, I'll throw two or three sits at an area before I write it off. And whenever I do that, I try and uh, I try and make it the same time period because what I found here is uh, their, their range is monstrous. Where I am in Florida compared to Chase, I think their range here is, is quite disproportionately large. And so if you take what Chase says and then you mm-hmm. factor in the, the, the fact that I think they have a bigger range, I mean, I might, you know, everybody says, find the fresh sign and then hunt it. Well... I mean, sometimes that can work really well for you. I'm not discrediting that, but it mm-hmm. it might take you a couple of morning and evening sits to to verify that. Because I had a buddy of mine opening opening day of deer season the night before. He sent me a photo and said, "Here's our target deer we're going after." His buddy killed it a mile away the next morning, and he had gotten the photo the morning before. And so, you know, put put that put that range on a map, and 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 draw a circle. You know, I'm sure it's not a perfect circle, but, you know, take a half mile around there and, 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 and draw a circle. Those are all the potential places he might be. You know, I'm sure we can, you know, rein it in a little bit, but I, I, I used to just sit one place and jump to the next spot because I'm leaving, leaving scent and all this stuff. And I had to just kind of come to terms with what Chase said. And that is there's a darn good chance. I didn't even influence that deer. If I, if, if he isn't downwind of me blowing, I, I'm, I'm just going to operate on the fact that I got in and out of there without him knowing it any better i know areas are different and part of the countries are different but down here man and this is going to sound crazy to y'all probably a lot of people's like that's crazy but i a lot of times to get into a spot way back in there like say i'll come off the river and i'll jump out of the boat and i'll head to a spot i'll hit a deer trail to get to it because i'm more about i don't want to make noise and blow out in in I can't tell you how many times I've walked down a deer trail and 30 minutes after daylight, deer funnel right down there, never pay it no attention, come right. I mean, I'm watching them coming right from where I come. They're right on the deer trail. It just seems like it don't bother them like people, like a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. And, and and down here, and I know different parts of the country is different, but, but to me, I, I don't necessarily think that you're, you spook them as bad as you think you do. Right. And, uh, you know, and so, but there's some deer like at public, on public, man, that, that them really high pressured areas that you got to be on your game because, you know, they might be, the rifle season is the worst down here. We don't have a whole lot of archery hunters during public, but when the opening day of rifle season comes, 
you can sit on the road and watch those deer cross the road leaving out of there like they know they're getting so <laughs> much pressure that they know to leave out of there mm-hmm. man so yeah i think you know, i think that's an important thing to factor in is the amount of pressure because i think that it probably has a lot to do with it yeah yeah i believe so too yeah I, yeah, I think that's probably it because I've had places. What, what Craig Croom said that on one of the previous podcasts, didn't he, Chase? That the pressure that they receive on a day in day out basis probably has a lot to lot to do with it. If you go into an area that's never never being pressured, and then there's a huge influx of hunters, their 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 situation is going to change. Whereas it sounds like you're kind of in some more remote areas, and as a result, I. You can probably get in and out using the water access, and, and you're probably pretty stealthy about it all, so you probably can get away with, I'm not going to say murder, but you probably can get away with a little bit more as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the deal with me. I'm not one of these great public land hunters that, that hunt public land all the time, man. I hunt a lot of just private, you know, river access and stuff like that, knock on doors. I mean, I knock on a lot of doors and say, hey, can, can I hunt and, and who I am and all this, and but yeah, man. And I tell them, and I'll say, look, I'm coming in off a boat, and, and I, I don't need to cross you. I don't need to drive in on you. You just got this little section between your, your fields and, and the river that's all grown out. And they're like, I don't care. We ain't been in there in 30 years and stuff <laughs> like that. So that helps me a lot. You know what I mean? Sure. And and there's just no pressure, man. There's just, just none. Yeah. And uh, same way with the mountains. They, there's some of us on some of these ranches up here that they – they would have to hike in there, man. And I do a lot of hiking and, uh, they would have to hike in there. Like, well, we don't care. I'm like, I just want to pull, I don't want to drive across you. I just want to park on the road and just hike way back in there. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. They're like, don't get snake bit. And I said, like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. And so <laughs> that, that helps me a lot. But yeah, man, I like to get, I like to get in, in little, in, in, in stuff that people ain't been in in years. And, and, because, you know, like I know, man, big bucks are smart, and they know where people's coming and when people's going, and they're going to get away from that the best they can. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I look for. I kind of get to thinking, and the, the more I drive down the river, I'm like, that area right there probably ain't ain't had nobody in it in forever. And if I don't have access to it, I'll go around and knock on I'll go back base camp, get in my pickup and drive wherever i have to drive to to go knock on the door and most of the time they're like yeah you just want to hunt that and i'm like yeah i'm like i don't want to come across you they don't like you you don't want to hunt the wheat field i said no i don't want to hunt the wheat field at all and they're like yeah we don't have no problem with it <laughs> <laughs> i'm like stuff like that so that's a lot of the times that's where we kill kill a lot of deer at that's awesome so, it sounds yeah, it yeah. sounds like you've been resourceful to find ways to create opportunities yeah, man, you have to. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, have, I'm a firm believer in have to. Yeah, I want to create, like you said, opportunities, man. And so, from the end of hunting season till the next hunting season, that's all I'm trying to do is is find stuff and and find new stuff and talk to people and say, hey, how long has it been since you've been in there? Is windstorm very bad? You know, because we have a lot of windstorms and stuff down here that blow the top out of these cottonwood trees. They're like, I don't know. We ain't been in there in 10 years. And then that's over the door. Hey, would you care if I come in off the boat right. and hunt that? They're, you know, check it out and hunt it. Ah, we don't care, you know. And so, yeah, I got tons of I got tons of hunting land from from doing that. So, 
a lot of people that's kind of a lost start too a lot of people don't go knock on doors no more and ask for permission i think they're too scared of somebody saying no <laughs> yeah yeah down down here anyway they don't they don't do it like they should yeah and uh i can ask a lot of i can go and knock on a lot of people's doors and I just come up to them and knock on the door, and people's like, "What? How do you do that?" And I'm like, "Man, I knock on the people's door like we used to. I step back away from the door ten foot, and when they come <laughs> to the screen door, I say, "Hello, I'm Ricky," you know. And I was just going to ask you, but if I don't know them or anything, you know, I said, "I just talk to the people." And 99% of the time, they're hesitant at first. You talk to them for 10 minutes, and they're like, "Oh, still a pretty good guy." Yeah, if you don't want to drive across, you can come in. You know. Yeah from the back so that helps me a lot man it's funny i I do a lot of um a lot of the landowners around here that you know the property isn't adjacent to where they live so i I do a lot of handwritten letters and uh i get i get i'd say i get about 10 percent yeses to the letters that i send out um but i think i think people i think you hit the nail on the head i think people are apprehensive they don't want to say the wrong thing they don't really want to hear no um uh-huh. you know it's the same reason why you don't talk to the girl at the bar <laughs> yeah, absolutely. you're scared of getting shot down that's right <laughs> there, there may be no logical reason for you to fear that but uh you know you might be the best looking dude in the bar but a lot of times you're and no scares people yeah well i'm absolutely not the best looking dude in the bar I, i'm sure y'all probably seen a picture of me <laughs> i look scared yeah you know, i got one eye you know i, I lost my eye when i was little little kid and i got one blue eye and one green eye and i i look like a dang mountain man half the time with a big old beard and stuff so when i walk up to somebody's door they kind of the first look they're like who is this guy (laughs) and then then that yeah i walk around about 300 pounds i usually slim down by hunting season because i'm hiking and stuff so but I, i usually in the off season i'm walking around about 300 pounds so i go to somebody's door and they're like they're pretty hesitant <laughs> but, but man i just find out you just yeah. be honest with your intentions and just like i think there's i just be honest with them and then down here i mean more than half of the time they're like yeah we don't care if that's all you want to do but but yeah right. that's I, I i think people just don't talk to people no more chase what were you gonna say i thought i heard you say something I was just going to say, they might be scared of saying no to you. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> it might be the opposite. <laughs> like, what are, if I tell this guy no, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm dead. That is just terrible. <laughs> yeah, that might be that might be the reason. Yeah, good lord, that's I funny. Don't know. I don't know. I, I know. I know the the older people. They they they'd rather you get out and talk to them and shake their hand. You know what yeah. I mean? Get out and say, even if it's a no, just say well, thank you for your time. You know, and shake their hand and say, if you know, if you ever change your mind or something like that, or just leave it at that. Most time they don't change their mind, but you never know. Every once in a while. I had one guy that all he talked about, he just, he, and he's not too far from my base camp on the river and nobody will ever hunt on me. Nobody will ever do this. Nobody will ever do that on me. And he was like, he didn't want anybody on him for no reason. And I, I see him in the coffee shop in the morning times and I stop by there. I'd say, when you going to let me hunt? And he'd start laughing. He'd say, you ain't never going to hunt. And it, it was just about five years ago. We was talking and he said something and I said, 
I said, you ought to at least let me come in there and shoot them pigs since they're tearing your land up so bad. I said, I'll just come right off the river. And he said, if, you, if you'll shoot them pigs, he said, I'll let you deer hunt on me. He said, that big old <laughs> patch of timber down in there. And I said, well, I'll shoot all the pigs. I said, I'll, you ain't got to let me deer hunt. I said, I'll just shoot the pigs just to shoot the pigs off of you. And then after that, I can do whatever I want to. to I don't have to stop asking, call him or nothing. He said, don't. Don't ever ask me. His wife was there one day, and I pulled in there and I knocked on the door. And uh, I said, her name's El Ray, and I said, El Ray, I said, uh, I was just going to say about going down here to the river. I said I was going to let y'all know. And she said, Don't ever come back here again. She said, If you want to lose permission, she said, Come back here and ask me again to go down there. And I said, <laughs> Well, I got it made now. Yeah, <laughs> good uh, lord. Yeah. So I I ended up going in there and uh, I took me and a buddy of mine we went down there in the river this year and we were rattling and and uh, end up rattling a couple littler deer and uh was about to leave and we had a group of does running in there and we ended up shooting two does in the boat and throwing them in the boat and head back to camp but i've not killed a big deer off that place but i know there's some some in there for sure i've, I've got pictures of them but that's awesome but anyway man. that's yeah, awesome yeah it's it's cool but the, but the the older people, they, they like for you to come talk to them. And in handwritten literature, that's that is a that is just a lost communication right there, man. If you're doing that, you, I mean, you're on it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Nobody writes a hand. My my wife actually started doing hand Christmas cards this year and sending them out. She's got a big old stack at home of them, and. Uh, I didn't say that to her, but I thought that's pretty cool. You know, she started writing, handwriting Christmas cards out to send them to everybody. And I thought that's pretty neat. We've got so used to sending a text message or something or something over Facebook and that's it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's some, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not getting access to all these different parcels, but I just got a letter today. It's funny that we, I, I maybe this is why I brought it up, but I wrote this fellow a letter. He's got a couple hundred acres up in Atlanta and this is the neatest no letter I've ever gotten in my entire life, which is the funny thing. I get responses to, like, almost all of my handwritten letters. I don't send a bunch of them, you know, maybe three, four, five a year. Um, but this joker's got his own stationery that's printed up that goes in his own little, his own little like, custom little envelope. And he handwrote in cursive to me that he appreciated me reaching out and to contact the land manager if I was still interested next year in hunting. And oh, I, I, I got the letter, and this sounds bad, but you know how some of the scammers will send you letters that look like they're handwritten, but they're really printed out on stationery? Mm-hmm. I, I got, I've been getting a lot of those from insurance companies, and when I looked in, looked through the envelope, I could see that. I dang near threw this thing out because I didn't recognize the name and address because I sent the letter months ago. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'll open it up. You never know what it is. And here I get this old school. I mean, you know, this guy had to be old school to be still, you know, ordering several hundred sheets of, of little note paper to, to, to send letters out on, you know? So it was just neat. It's, it's not, it's yeah. the nicest no letter I've ever gotten. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And there, there's some dude in PA every year. He owns some property behind my house, about 240 acres. He does nothing with it. 
And every year I write him a letter and I implore with him uh, the, the need for him to <laughs> let me hunt behind <laughs> behind my house. <laughs> One day he's either going to get a restraining order on me or, or, yeah. or tell me no. <laughs> hey, that's consistency. Just keep on, man. He'll break one of these days. He's just like the guy at the coffee shop. That's he'll, right. He'll get so tired of telling you no that he's finally just feels sorry for you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is a question I ask everybody, and it's always interesting to hear what they have to say. And I have a feeling this time I actually know what you're going to say, so we're going to see. But if you could go back to your earliest deer hunting self and impart one single piece of wisdom that would have forever changed for the better, the deer hunter that you are today, what would you have told your younger self? Give me just one second. I got so much stuff that I could have told myself. (laughs) I was an awful deer hunter when I first started. (laughs) Uh, This is going to sound kind of corny but i'm gonna t- i'm gonna tell you honestly come on that quit worrying about quit worrying about killing stuff so much and just enjoy the time it's the time in the woods with my grandpa and everything oh that would that would that would have been that wasn't what you was thinking was it It sure wasn't did you throw me that curveball on purpose right, no no but that's that's, <laughs> that's that's what i'm that that's what i i think about a, a lot of times i'm like if if i could go back to when i was younger and my grandpa was still alive and hunting and everything I would enjoy more the hunt and, and going hunting and, and, and listen to what he said than actually wanting to kill something so bad. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of one thing I changed the most importantly thing. Cause I'm, I missed out on a lot of quality time and a lot of, and a lot of listening to the, like I say, the old timers and stuff. I just, so crazy about wanting to kill a, a big deer to show everybody right that, that i would enjoy it more and i'd have, i'd have probably come away with a lot more knowledge yeah if I did that. that's but, some that's some real solid advice. i thought you were gonna say woodsmanship yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, well i started to, i started to say that and now i was i was like man i should i should have learned more woodsmanship and uh, uh, I wish I'd have had more woodsmanship, but that was that's kind of goes hand in hand with listening to my grandpa, because my grandpa was crazy like that. I'd be walking behind him when I was younger, and he would say, "Hey, you didn't he- need to step on that stick. You could have stepped over. That's like I told you, don't step on yeah, something. You yeah. can step over that. Come from my grandpa. He used to, <laughs> he would turn around like in the middle of the going down a trail or something, going to try to go into hunt, and he would say, "Hey." watch my feet if i step over something you step over like, i've drove my boy crazy my boy has, i've literally drove and you you can do that i, I have to lighten up on my boy something because i'm like i'm gonna ruin it it's not even gonna be fun because i'm on him all the time about sit still and be patient and step over stuff and stuff like that but yeah wasn't shift's a big deal but if i'd have had it to do all over i'd have just i'd have just enjoyed more of the hunt with my grandpa than than just trying to kill something, you know. Sure. No, that's good, but, yeah. man. That's so good. That was a curveball. <laughs> you got me, man. I, I, every once in a while, I feel like I really got somebody pegged, and they always, they always send me that direction. So, <laughs> you cut me down to, you cut me down to size. <laughs> yeah, but woodsmanship's a big deal. I want everybody to learn woodsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, dude, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of out of your hunting season. I know how much you cherish it after talking to you now, and, um. 
you know, I I, I, I think uh, we're gonna have to have you back on at some point in time, and uh, and maybe do a woodsmanship podcast. Maybe maybe we can uh, incorporate. Uh, yeah, some lessons you've learned by by hunting with a trad bow that 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 could cor- uh, incorporate. But I'm I'm really liking the idea of a woodsmanship series. Yeah, absolutely, man. If y'all decide to do it, give me a little time to jog down some notes. Yeah, don't catch me on. A, I, I'm one of these people that's got to prepare, man. You know, I, I got I like through my preparation, so I can write down some keynotes, and then I can really. You know, you're going to have me thinking for the next two weeks what all goes into woodsmanship. That's right. <laughs> Shoot you out, man. It's, it's been fun. It's been cool talking to y'all. Yeah, buddy. For sure. Hang on one second. We're going to chat with you afterwards, but I'm going to wrap this up. Guys, Clay, if you're listening, dude, I, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. This one I found him just for you, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think we probably could have spent another hour and a half talking. If you enjoy this podcast, like us on Facebook, Instagram, consider joining Patreon, but most importantly, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.